Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Inman, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Thanks be to God indeed. Good morning, church. Uh, I noticed some of the comments saying that the sound was out. I hope that those technical issues are coming, uh, getting fixed. We, we're we doing a new thing. This is something uh, new for us to be able to all be streaming from home. Uh, and so it, it's amazing how God is able to equip us and empower us to be able to do something like this. And so I'm just always excited at what God is doing, especially through the life of Orange United Methodist Church. This past year was an incredible year. And as we're closing out um, all of our books and looking over the statistics and everything of of what Orange did and the ways that we served, the ways that we reached out into our community. We did something in 2021 that has not been done at Orange in anyone's recent memory. Not only did we surpass $700,000 in our giving for the year, this past year, we had a lofty goal. We had a budget that was around $740,000. And this past year, you as a church outgave that budget. I mean, it's amazing that we received gifts of over $740,000 in 2021 to be able to help people find their place in God's story. And I cannot give you enough thanks for what it is you have done to be able to equip this church and empower it and enable it to be a church that does make a difference in the lives of people right here in our community and far beyond. So thank you so much for your remarkable generosity. God is doing a new thing. He is doing a new thing indeed in the life of Orange and in our community. And I'm so thankful to be able to be a part of that, to be able to join us all together as a wonderful team, bringing glory to God. So thank you for what you've done. And I give thanks today for what God is doing in this very moment. Before we go any further, let's go to God once again in prayer. Oh, God of grace and God of mercy, you're the giver of every good and perfect gift. And today, right where we are, Lord, speak into our hearts. Lord, we give thanks for the word as it has been read and now as it is to be proclaimed. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Several years ago, we had the opportunity to be visiting with my grandparents. My grandparents lived in Oxford, North Carolina, and my grandfather was always a unique character. You can be surprised by that, I'm sure, that I would descend from someone like that. Granddaddy's name was Badger Fenton Seat, and I'm honored to be able to have that same middle name as it has been handed down for several generations. 
But one Sunday evening, we were gathered together at Grandma and Granddaddy's house and visiting the way that families many times used to do. And we were all sitting around in the living room, probably in a little bit of a food coma after having overeaten far too much food. And as we're sitting there and no one's really saying a whole lot, out of the middle of nowhere, my grandfather, who was well into his 80s at the time, said, my name used to be Robert. And everyone quickly awoke up and looked at him and thinking, something's happened to granddad. <laughs> what in the world is going on? And so someone asked for clarification, and Granddaddy said that back when he was born, his parents originally named him Robert Fenton Seat. However, a week or two later, they found out that right about that same time in, in the county elsewhere, he had a cousin that had been born, and they had named that child Robert Seat as well. And so his parents, although he had been for a week or two weeks, been named Robert Seat. They changed his name from Robert to, to Badger. And we all just were listening to the story in wonder and amazement. And Granddaddy, what, did they get badgered into changing your name? Why would they pick such a name like Badger? But true enough, that is who he became. He had been born and given one name, but he was then given a, subs a different name. You know, our names have meaning, and many of us are given names for specific reasons. Maybe it's because of family, it's a family name, or maybe it's because it uh, relates to something that we really love and care for. I know that I was named Adam because after my grandparents had had four granddaughters born, I was the first male born into the family. And so I was given the name Adam. My son, Jacob, we named Jacob Wesley because he was born at a time that Jennifer and I were still so enthusiastic as reading through the scriptures together each night. And we would read a chapter of the Bible out loud together. And the story of Jacob was one that we had always loved and cherished. And at the time, I was still in seminary at Duke and learning more and more about John Wesley. And so we gave Jacob this name, Jacob Wesley to be able to be reminded of that story of Jacob, but then also of Wesley and the ways that he taught us so much about God's grace. Our son, Aaron, we named him Aaron Fenton Seat to carry on that longstanding tradition of that middle name, Fenton, being in the family. But also we named him Aaron because our hope would be that Aaron might be a voice for ones that have no voice as Aaron was oftentimes a voice for his brother, Moses. Sometimes we take on new names or even new titles. I remember when I received, when I entered into the ministry, we answered the phone one day and someone asked to speak to Reverend Seat. And as I am the son of the Reverend Dr. Billy Seat, I remember hearing them ask to speak to Reverend Seat and I had to respond, I'm sorry, he's not here. They said, well, aren't you Reverend Seat? And I realized, oh, they're talking to me. You know, those new names or new titles sometimes can create confusion, but sometimes we're given names and titles by the accomplishments or things that we've done. 
I think about when an athlete wins a championship. From that point on, they become world champion or champion winner and give that name. It always becomes a part of their title. Sometimes it's the things that we've done that aren't so good that go along with us also, such as a convicted felon and then the name. And as much as we may try to forgive ourselves or for our misdeeds, it seems like everybody else wants to put that title on us. seems like everybody else wants to remain, remember that name and those things that we've done. And, you know, sometimes we give ourselves a new name, a new title. We may say of ourselves, I'm such a failure. I'm a loser. I'm such an idiot. You know, we give ourselves these names. We take on these identities that really are not who we are. In today's scripture, the Gospel of John, we have the very first miracle that Jesus performs, and it takes place at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. Now, weddings in the time of Jesus were quite a bit different than the way they are now. Weddings typically at that time would have taken place over a period of five to seven days. And usually a wedding was best to be held in the fall after the period of the harvest had been completed. Because at that point in time, people would know that the work was done. Minds were free and it was time to celebrate. And so for the wedding feast, the entire village would gather for this celebration. Talk about a guest list. You better hope you were from a small village. I mean, the entire thing consisted of processions, blessings, feasts, dancing, and the singing of songs, many of which were songs that were directly out of the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing any of those songs today. You know, our oldest son, Jacob, got married back over Labor Day weekend, and we thought that planning a wedding was stressful in this time. We only basically had two days to really worry about things, the day of the rehearsal and the wedding day itself. I can't imagine planning for a wedding celebration for the entire village that was going to take place over five to seven days, but that's what the custom was. And that's what culture did. And as humans, we always seem to have a knack for wanting to keep up with the Joneses. So you can imagine how no one wanted to be known as the people who threw a lousy wedding feast. John's gospel tells the story and it records that this took place just a few days after the baptism of Jesus. Now, we don't know for sure who all was with Jesus. Gospel doesn't document the names of everyone that was with them, but we do know from John chapter one, the chapter just preceding this, that at this point in time, all it records is that Jesus had called four disciples right after his baptism. We know that there was Andrew, and there was Simon, who Jesus would immediately give him a new name and call him Cephas, which is translated Peter which we know also is a word for rock. We know that there was Philip, and we know that there was Nathaniel. Oh, yeah, the one who was renowned for the question, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? 
So we know that there was probably those four. We're not sure who else was following along with them, but we do know that they're still in the orientation phase. They've just been with him for a day, maybe two days. They've been with him a very short amount of time, and I'm sure that Jesus had said some profound things as they traveled to Cana and Galilee. I'm sure he said a lot of things that had made them begin to understand God a little bit differently. I'm But yet, there has never been a sign or wonder performed just quite yet. And so I'm sure that they are still in that phase of wondering, is this really the Messiah? But you know what happened when they followed him to this wedding celebration in Cana. This is what could be called vintage Jesus. The wedding celebration is likely someone that's very close to Mary and to Jesus because Mary is one of those that's behind the scenes. She's one of those scurrying about who's pulling all all these things together to make sure that the event takes place, probably helping back in the kitchen, probably helping to send the servants out to take care of things. And behind the scenes, Mary has learned of a problem, a problem that is going to become a significant problem the wine had given out. When she finds herself in these times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to him, speaking words of wisdom. She says to Jesus, they have no wine. Now, when I read the Bible, and in particular, stories like this, try to picture what the scene might have looked like, what it might have sounded like. I try to think about what was going on in the head and in the heart of the people who were involved in this story. Perhaps Mary came to Jesus in a matter-of-fact type tone, almost expecting that Jesus would do something about it, sort of that they have no wine, and maybe she gave him that look that all mothers seem to have the ability to give, as she said, they have no wine implying you know what you need to do. But I have a feeling that when Mary came to Jesus, there was more of a sense of desperation. I feel like that in that hour of darkness, as she's standing right in front of him, this family that Mary loves is facing a shame that would stick with them for years. Instead of being known as the Smiths or the Jones, She knew that after something like this, they'd be given a new name. They might be known as forsaken, maybe jilted, disowned, or ignored. They would feel themselves abandoned, quite possibly lonely. For us, it may seem like a little thing, but it is something that would likely stick with them for the rest of their lives. And Mary cannot let something like that happen. So Mary comes to Jesus. And that passage from Isaiah that Corey read just a few moments ago, the prophet is reminding the people of God that God will deliver on God's promises. People have returned from their Babylonian exile, but things have not gone as glorious as maybe they had expected. Life, life remains very harsh. 
and their circumstances have become their identity. Their circumstances have become their identity. That's something we allow to happen in our own lives. In verse 4 of chapter 62 of Isaiah, it says, you shall no longer, you shall no more be termed forsaken. and Your land shall not be termed desolate. See, those were their circumstances. But they had taken on those names. Forsaken. Desolate. Cast off. Lonely. Abandoned. There are moments that we allow our circumstances to make us feel forsaken, desolate, cast off, lonely, and abandoned. So much that those circumstances become our identity. You know, I think back to the story of Ruth and Naomi, where Ruth and Naomi return to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. And as they have lost everything, as they have lost everything, they return and people recognize, oh, here comes Naomi. Naomi is a name that means pleasant. But Naomi says to them, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The new name that she claims is Mara, which means bitter. She's identified by her circumstances. When we allow our circumstances to become our identity, we take on that new name. We become bitter. We become cast off, forsaken, desolate, abandoned, loser, ugly. Useless. But the prophet Isaiah will not allow the people of God to hold on to those names. The prophet Isaiah will not remain silent. The prophet Isaiah reminds them that they have been named and they have been claimed by the Lord God Almighty. He says, you shall no longer, no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But your name, you shall be called my delight is in her. Your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. You see what Isaiah is doing here. He's reminding Israel that they are not to be identified by their circumstances. They are not to be identified by the things that they have done. They are not to be identified by their suffering. They are not to be identified by the things that have been done to them. They are instead identified by the one who has named them and claimed them. They are identified by the one who delights in them. They are identified by the bridegroom. This one has come for his bride. Which brings us back to that wedding feast in Cana and Galilee. Mary cannot allow this family friend, the wedding party, to be known for their failures. Mary, Mother Mary cannot let it be. So speaking words of wisdom, Mary says, they have no wine. Now, at first, Jesus resists. Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. But Mary will not remain silent. Mary will not relent. She tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. 
And so Jesus tells them to fill the stone water jars, holding 20 to 30 gallons of water, to fill them and then draw some out and take it to the chief steward. And when the chief steward tastes what has been brought to him, he calls over the bridegroom. And he says, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you, you have kept the good wine until now. Just like Israel would not be identified by their failures. Just like Israel would not be identified by their circumstances. This wedding party. They would instead be identified by the miraculous saving gift of Jesus Christ. They could not have done this on their own. They could not have dug themselves out of this hole that they found themselves in. They were saved. They were saved from a lifetime of sorrow and shame, isolation and desolation, being mistaken and forsaken. Forever, their story would be told because of what Jesus did. They have been given a new name. By God, they have become ones that God delights in. By God, they have become the bride to the bridegroom. By God, they have become heirs according to the promise. And the thing is this, so are you. You're not known by your failures. You're not known by your circumstances. You're known because there is one who has named you. There is one who has claimed you. You've been given a new name. You are not desolate. You are not a failure. You are not forsaken. You are beloved. So many times we allow those other voices, those other names to claim our identity. But our God Almighty takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Our God Almighty produces a good thing within you. And today, because of that saving gift of Jesus Christ, who is here with you, we have been given a new name. We shall not be identified by our failures, but instead by the gift of Jesus Christ. Today, take your new name. Today, know that you are claimed. You are loved. You are beloved. Let's pray. God of grace and God of mercy. Far too many times we listen to the other names that others may put upon us. Or even those names that we claim ourselves. We allow our identity to be dictated by our circumstances. But you're the God that speaks peace into the midst of the storm. Hope into the lives of the hopeless. Love into the lives of those who feel unloved. So today, God, help us to put away those other names. Help us to claim the name that you have given to us. We are beloved. We give thanks for this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit.
and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.